0: chapter 3. The title of the message is, consider Jesus, and what I want you to focus on throughout the whole sermon is focus. One of the greatest dangers in our spiritual life is losing focus. And we have an enemy, Satan. One of his greatest weapons against us is just distract us. Hey, look over here. Get distracted. Now, physically, in our generation, reading a novel, I'm thinking, you're going 80 miles an hour, passing feet, and you're really not giving full attention to the road. Now, we know nowadays that cell phones and texting, the rest of the stats this this week, nearly a half million people will be injured this year due to distracted driving. And you think, well, yeah, I'm not looking for that long, it's just a few seconds. The average length of time that you're looking at your phone is about five seconds you're looking at a text, responding to text, about five seconds, your eyes are off the road. What can happen in five seconds? Well, if you're going 55 miles an hour, you travel the entire length of a football field in five seconds. Reading that this week, i thought about, back in my own days, I wasn't ever texting in my car. We didn't have something. Well, actually, we did. They hung on the wall. You couldn't take them with you, unless you had a really long cord. I remember driving to church. One Sunday night, and I looked down just long enough to adjust the radio. And when I looked back up, a car had stopped right close. And I had to swerve. I didn't hit the back of them. I swerved over to the grass, went around, and turned into a neighborhood. I just played it off like I was just in a hurry, and that's where I was going. <laughs> Scared me to death. You know, and for a little In this message in chapter 3 of Hebrews, is that very same thing not texting on your dresser. But get distracted. Let's look at the first few verses of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly father, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, but just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house was boast of our hope, firm till the end. There's three imperatives in this chapter that I want us to look at this morning. The first one is the imperative that comes under the faithfulness of Christ, the faithfulness of Jesus. And that is to consider Jesus. Now, how does he address him? Let me back up again and give you some stuff. It not been here for the series on Hebrews. Understand the writer of Hebrews, and why I keep saying the writer of Hebrews? Hebrews is that one book in the New Testament that the author does not name. Some of you may have Bibles that say the Apostle Paul to the Hebrews. Somebody else added that. We don't know who wrote have been Paul, but if it was Paul, it's, it's entirely different than anything. He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament who all bear a striking resemblance to each other. This one doesn't. The, the grammar in it, the, the sense of the letter is different. Plus, Paul doesn't do what he normally do. it does. It says, Paul, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. All right? God knows. Apparently, it wasn't important for us to know. We just know it was written. The occasion for it probably in Rome or right around Rome, made up mostly of Jewish Christians. In other words, people who were raised in the Jewish faith, but since the cross and the crucifixion, the resurrection, had now come to faith in Christ. So he's writing specifically to Jewish believers, but also to Jews who were close to being believers. They were inquirers. They were coming to church. They were learning. They were just close to Christ. And yet the enemy was over here going, hey, look over here. Think about Moses. Think about what you're giving up. So the writer of Hebrews says, consider Jesus. And he specifically calls him holy brethren. Often in Hebrews, when he uses the word brethren, it's just a national term. He's not saying brethren in the sense that you're Christians. But in this verse, holy brethren is different. He is talking specifically to Christians here. In fact, he strengthens that by saying partakers of a heavenly calling. So he's saying, okay, the people reading this, I know some of you are not believers, but I'm specifically saying right now to believers, consider Jesus. What does that mean? It means to observe fully, to fix your thoughts, to focus on Christ. He has put Jesus on full display. In the first chapter, he compared Jesus to angels and showed how he is much better than the angels. In this passage, he's going to compare Jesus to Moses and show how he's much better than Moses. Now, why do you have to do that? For you and I, we don't have a sense of why we need to hear about angels and Moses. But for the Jews, they knew about angels. They read about him in the Old Testament. And Moses was the national hero. More about that than minute. And Jesus is saying now, don't focus on those. Focus on Christ. Now folks, that's going to be a common theme in Hebrews. You're going to hear this if you listen to the rest of these messages. You're going to hear later where it talks about, you know, keep your eyes on Jesus, the alternate perspective of our faith. As you run the race, keep focused on Christ. Why is that so important? Folks, this important for us. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're trying to live the Christian life, the way you will get sidetracked, and the tool of the enemy is going to be take the focus off Christ. He'll do that by saying things like, you know, you don't need to go to church. You don't need to study your Bible. Why don't you focus over here?" In fact, he'll even allow you to get off focus by doing good things. Hey, you're, you're so busy during the week doing good things, you you know you're, you're you're set. Well, good things can be a distraction of Hebrew says, consider Jesus. Now, let me practice with just four thoughts here. I've studied this passage this week and thought, okay, how do we do that on a daily basis? I'm not, not going to go back 2,000 years when this letter was written and so say, here's how you Hebrews Hebrew do it. I'm saying, here's how we, believers, keep our focus on Christ. Literally keep an intimacy with Jesus. The first is, you've got to want to, so desire. Okay? If you're here today and you're saying, preacher, that sounds good, but I don't. Got other problems. But if you want to, if you're saying, you know, I want to have that intimate walk with Christ, I want to keep my eyes focused on Him, I want to go through the week where I'm not constantly distracted by the things of this world that pull my focus off of Him. So you got to want to. So my question is, do you want to? It's an act of the will. It's your Team is your willer tuned in here? Do you want to? Second, it requires concentration. It's a it's a focus on Him above all else. Our focus off of it, distractions. Well, we've got to get smart enough that we know to say, wait, that's a distraction. Now, some distractions are things you've got to take care of. But don't allow them to take your eyes off of Jesus. Some of them are things you need to quit playing with. Some of them are things you can turn off or put away. But some of them may be things like your schoolwork. Right? Schoolwork can become a distraction. You need to do that. Right? You need to finish well, your job, your spouse, your children, taking your dog out. You know, those are all things that well, take care of those things. But let none of those things take your focus off of So it requires desire, it requires concentration, it requires discipline. Discipline. I say that it's, say, according to your will, well, it's an act of the will. Well, discipline is where you put that desire into practice. That You can have the best laid plans and say, you know what, I'm going to get up every morning to think i But if you don't have the discipline to do that, it'll never happen you know what, I'm just going to hope that I wake up 30 minutes early and can't go back to work. How that that to work out? Some of you I know are no morning people. You just wake up in the morning with a smile on your face. Morning people annoy me. <laughs> i said this before. I wish they had snooze buttons for, for morning people. You know, this? They're just a little bit chipper than any morning people in a morning person. You can point to them. Are the you a morning person? You just wake up in the morning with the light gloves on. I'm not like that. It takes me a little while heard this before. When I was a kid growing up. My mom would take me to school, and I learned how to communicate with my mom on the way to school without ever opening my mouth. She'd ask me a question, I just didn't really want to engage yet, That first thing in the morning. So for me, i got to set the alarm clock. Now, I've reached this age, you got this look for you, where you're just going to wake up anyway. You know, I was talking to one of my children, He's like, you know, I never not been sleep in. I, I had to get up like 9 o'clock. That's leaping in for drawing that loud. You know, once you reach a certain age, nine o'clock is like you, you missed half the day. All right. <laughs> so if you're going to have that, you, the discipline of it is essential. You, you may even want to have somebody hold you accountable. You may want to say to somebody, you know what? I, I've really made a commitment to the Lord that I'm going to spend time with you every single day. Did you check up on me? Did you ask me today when you see work or you see school? Did you take quiet time this morning? Hey, you could get. Hey, would you call me? You, how rudimentary it got for me. Last church I served, I had a guy that I was, we were, we were both ready to come in have a clock time together in the morning, St. Tom. So, Tom and I would meet at the church every morning at 7 o'clock. We'd get up, get ready for the day, meet at church. We wouldn't talk to each other. I would just see him come in one door. He knew I came in the other door. And we'd spend the day, though, that morning, starting off just having our clock time for the Lord. I didn't have to talk to Tom. I just knew if Tom wasn't there, I was going to call him. Next. I woke up on mornings and I didn't feel like getting up. I knew I got to get up because if I don't, Tom's going to give me a hard time. So, that part of discipline is something I encourage you to do. Then, the fourth thing is time. It it takes time. This doesn't happen by osmosis. It won't happen if you put your Bible in your pillow tonight and sleep on it. I've heard some preachers say, I'm going to change the name of my bed to the Word. Like, tell people. Goes on. Okay, consider Jesus. And then he gives him a couple of names Apostle and High Priest. This is the only time in the whole New Testament that Jesus is called an apostle. Now, the apostles were called apostles a bunch. But Jesus was only referred one time in the whole New Testament to apostles. So, what does it mean? It's a delegate, it's an ambassador sent. Jesus was sent from God to be born of a virgin, to be born in Bethlehem, to be born a human, to become man. God He was a delegate, an apostle, an ambassador for God. But here's the cool thing about ambassador: the ambassador has the full authority of the one sent. Well, you and I are called ambassadors of God. So, like Jesus, we've been sent by God, and we have the authority of God that we need to act with. We're representing Him now on Earth. Jesus was called an apostle, also called a high priest twelve times, just in the Book of Hebrews. Referred to as a high priest. And I mentioned this last week just to remind me. Jesus was called a merciful high priest. Mercy was not part of the high priest of the Old Testament. A lot of high priests in the Old Testament during the time of Christ, there were high priests, if you remember that. Today, in Judaism, there's still high priests. But mercy was not a criterion for them, because they went to God asking for mercy. But Jesus is now called our high priest, because he's merciful. He's been tempted in every way that we've ever been tempted, yet without sin. So he knows your struggles. And so that rather than just representing you before God and God before you, he's the kind of high priest that has mercy. He's called the faithful high priest. Then he comes back to Moses. and says, Moses was faithful also in all his life. Moses was a faithful just a reminder about Moses. Moses was born in Egypt. Remember when Moses was born, there was a decree in he to put out for the Pharaoh, kill all the male children. Why? Because they were becoming too numerous. The Jews were starting to become so numerous and God was blessing them so much that Pharaoh said, they're going to end up taking over Egypt. Well, he didn't realize that wasn't the plan of God. He was going to get them out of Egypt. So, the Pharaoh, excuse me, Moses was born, remember the story, put in the basket, two families. Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household, protected by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh, when he was, me, Moses, when he was about 40 years old, fled from Egypt. Long story. I won't go into all the details, but leaves Egypt, goes out to the wilderness, gets married, takes care of his father-in-law's flock. When he was about 80 years old, God says, I'm about to see you back to you're going to become the deliverer for my people. The people of God in Israel, in Egypt. Had been hearing for hundreds of years God's to deliver it. Right now we're in slavery. We're in bondage. It's a hard life. But there's a better day coming. The delivery came. Well, at about 80 years old, Moses was that deliverer. He was also the lawgiver. Moses, after they got out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness. How long were they in the wilderness? 40 years. Part of that time. So when the Jews thought about Moses, he was incredibly revered. National hero. This was the guy that they were followers of. In fact, later on it says they put their boast in Moses. And what's the writer of Hebrews say? Hey, Moses was faithful, but he was a faithful servant. In fact, the word servant here is the only time it's used in New Testament. Normally it's the word translated slave. Paul used that word a lot. Hey, I'm a bond servant of the Most High God. Meaning slave. This one was He wasn't a slave, this was a servant with very high honor. I see Moses was, but he stood just a servant. He compares him with Jesus and says, Jesus was a son. They were both faithful, one servant, one son. Moses was faithful, but Christ was faithful as a son. And he goes on to say, Listen, in whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, is both, the writer of Hebrews is saying, boasting Jesus. What was the problem for the people that, the, that Hebrews was written to? Their boat was in Moses. None of us are struggling now in not boasting in Jesus and boasting in Moses. Who do we boast in? Us. The thing that keeps us from following Jesus like we ought to is we're putting our confidence in us. I've had those kind of conversations, people. Hey. was, he said, no, I'm not. And basically, he felt like he didn't need to be a Christian. Why? Because, he hey, I'm a good It was all about, I'm a good person. And then he went into all the stuff he didn't do. I don't do this, that, and the other thing. You know, the old line is, I don't know, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't know girls do okay? And if some people would kind of think, well, that's good enough, isn't it? Doesn't God kind of look down and that and say, that's good enough. You've given it a good college try. We're going to grade on the curve. That's good enough. No. Our best efforts were never good. Old Testament, they put their confidence in Moses. Nowadays, we're putting their confidence in us. So the writer of Hebrews would say to us, if he could today, consider Jesus. And stop considering yourself something. He says, here's John wrote about it. First John. First John says they went out from us because they really weren't of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out. Here's the struggle. believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus said that, and it's recorded in John's Gospel, the say say, hey, you made an actual hero, a religious hero of Moses. Moses was a faithful servant, but Moses was pointing towards me. And you think we're doing the one thing said. one. got into the wilderness. They struggled with unbelief. The next section is the danger of unbelief, starting in verse 7. Therefore, in fact, I'm going to skip a section, so just follow with me. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the days of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry, Know my ways as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then skipping down to verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast. Excuse me, verse 15. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked him. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he that they would not enter His rest but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So the second imperative is take care. And he uses this passage from Psalms 95. The writer of Psalms, David, reminds himself and reminds his readers of the spirits of the wilderness. What was the big struggle in the wilderness? Unbelief. you, you recognize this? The children of Israel, we think about 1.5 million Men, women and children left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness. It took them 40 years to get to the promised land. It shouldn't have taken that long. It wasn't that far of a journey. Why did it take so long? Because they wandered. Why did they wander? Because they were faithless. They were unbelieving. In fact, at one point God said, I, I, I'm not even going to go with you anymore because I might kill you on the way. And Moses said, oh God, Day. Writer of Psalm 95, I and mean, we're being reminded of that in Hebrews. And why is that? Because today's the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Listen, if you hear God knocking on your heart, if you know God's drawing you to Himself, today's the day of grace. Today's the day of salvation. What happens when we? great preacher in Chicago. He used to end every sermon by saying this, now go home and think about what I just did. He did that on one night, and that night the Chicago Fire broke out. A lot of folks died in the fire. He knew that some of the people that were in his congregation that night, as he said, now go away, go away and think about it. He knew they died it. brothers, a nationalist term, to say, hey, those of you that were born kind of the same religious mantle as I was, Jews in the church here in Rome, don't harden your heart. Take a witness, take a, remember the testimony of the children of God in the wilderness. God got angry with them and said, you're not going to enter your rest. $1.5 million More than two enters, of the original 1.5 million, their bodies were scattered throughout the desert for 40 years. Why? Because of unbelief. And here's what happened. Here's Satan's trick. Watch me. He's saying, hey, look over here. And Satan will always cause you to look back to, to the past. When going got tough in the wilderness, what they should have been looking for is what God promised us. He promised us a land of fact cost us a land full with milk and honey. The Satan never allowed them to focus on that. What did he say? When they got hungry? You don't never say to Moses when they got hungry? Hey, at least we had enough to eat. that to eat. You know, we kind of to say, yeah, didn't they beat you? <laughs> Wasn't it horrible in Egypt? Why don't you remember the bad things? All you remember is at least our bellies were full and we had enough water. So when they got out in the wilderness, the reason they were struggling, the reason Moses struggled with it, even while Moses was up on the mountain getting the law. They were back creating a God to worship. Why? Because they got distracted. Took their eyes off of what they should have been on. They started thinking. Fall away from the living God. What's he saying? God is right here calling you to himself. In fact, the term he uses is one to be a deserter, to fall away. It's like a military term that says, hey, you're ready for battle, you got all the gear on, you look good in training, but as soon as the fight broke out, you tucked tail and ran. That's what some of the people were doing. As soon as going got tough, they fell away. They got distracted. Quotes Psalm 95, the way he puts it says, Remember what the Holy Spirit said. What does that mean? It means this is scripture. It's inspired by God. A lot of people think the man just kind of made this up and wrote it down, huh? God used me, but he spoke through the Holy Spirit. all today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. So the third imperative is to encourage, and I love this word, it's a word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit and we call it comforter. the word paraclete, this is a form of the year. There's an old hymn that two Greek words put together means to call alongside us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Comes alongside of us and helps us in the Christian walk. But often in the New Testament, we're called to be that for each other. Later in Hebrews chapter 10, he's going to say that. Encourage one another. Here he's saying encourage one another. Why? So he's saying some of you are struggling big time. The enemy is distracting you. And it's not always just Satan that's distracting you. It's the people around you in Rome who don't believe in God. You're looking at their life and thinking, why are they happy? seems like they're prospering. They're doing better than I am. Maybe I'll walk away from God. Right, here, people are saying, don't get distracted. Take care. And in the meantime, encourage those around you. One of the great things about church, being involved in a local church, is it's a place where hopefully you can kind of get encouraged. Now, I've been, in churches where, I, I, I've been in churches where some people have the spiritual gift of discouragement according to anybody here. So you know what I'm talking about? You ever been around people like that? They just, everything, you know, and the glass is always half empty. It's just, woe is me. It's just, it's always bad. We're going to die. They're always looking back instead of in the future. Paul put it this way. Listen, I don't even mean, consider just the present sufferings I'm going through right now to even be worthy to be compared with. day after day. In other words, not just on Sunday. Not just once a week. But encourage your brothers and sisters around you. So church, one of the things we do practically is encourage other people. And the generation we live in now, we don't have to wait for to see people to encourage them. Do you know somebody struggling? Text them. Call them. Email them. Write them a letter. They'll do it eventually. Encourage them. Be somebody called alongside of them. Be Jesus with skin on him. Why? So that nobody is hard. This word used to describe Israel. living God, and your heart gets hard. And you hear things from people like, you know, I'm a good person. I'm nice to others. I don't do all the bad things. What does the writer of Hebrew call that? Deceitfulness. The word deceitfulness means trickery. Sin lies. Sin never wants you to focus on the consequences of the cause. What does it want you to focus on? The good times. And the Bible says sin's fun for a season to those saints Folks start the race real well. Children of Israel, they started well when they left Egypt. You know what they did? They basically plundered Egypt. Pharaoh was so happy to get rid of them that he was begging. Finally, by the end of the tenth plague, get out of here! And apparently, the people of Egypt were so happy to get rid of them, they just started giving them stuff. Here, you want some gold jewelry? Take it. They plundered Egypt. The Pharaoh had to change the heart after they got gone a little while. They chased after him. When we had the parting of the Red Sea and they drank. But if all you do is focus on the beginning and don't focus on the end, I hear, I hear testimonies now. Some people share their testimonies. they got five minutes, four and a half of it is how bad they used to be. And I wonder sometimes, if your life ever really change? Because I don't hear you talk about it. Our testimonies ought to be more about here's what God's done in my life, here's what God's doing in my life. Oh, dear, that kind of thing. But that's the evidence that you're a true follower of Christ. Is that it wasn't just a moment where you had an emotional excuse. And yes, it can be emotional. But it wasn't just that. But you're able to look at your life and see a steady progress. Men and women, if you're here this morning, and your testimony is I'm a child of God, maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years. Can you look back over your life and see spiritual growth taking place? If you can what the writer B. Ruth is talking about. You tell friends. If all you can look back on is an event that happened 50 years ago there's no evidence. Other- relationships with other people that you can even tell somebody about that? Are you the kind of person somebody could call when they need help? If so, then you're probably the kind of person that has people you can call. Encourage one another. You know what? Because someday you're going to need encouragement. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the exhortation We're are-